You're listening to Red Leg Nation Radio, the official podcast of RedLegNation.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Red Leg Nation Radio podcast. We're going to call this one the 2009 New Year's Resolution edition of the podcast. Hope this will be the first of many this year. I'm your host, Chad Dotson. We've got a great show planned for you here today. Got an interview later that our own Bill Lack did with Tyler Stovall, outfielder in the Reds uh, system, one of our spotlight players at RedLegNation.com, uh, who's been checking in with us throughout his first year in professional ball. Wrote some uh, very interesting posts about what it was like spending his first year in the Reds organization. He'll be headed up to Dayton this year, where many of our local fans will get to check him out. I hope you do. hope you go tell him that uh, you've been following him on Red Leg Nation and that uh, you're really, really interested in his career, uh, and it's shaping up to be a pretty good career. He had a really, really nice first year with the Cincinnati Reds organization out there in Billings. So we've got an interview with him coming up later. Also, got a, want to discuss a couple of the items in the Reds news here later. So let's go ahead and uh, dig right in. The first thing, I guess, really that what everyone's been talking about over the last week in uh, in the nation is the signing of Willie Tavares, our new center fielder and leadoff hitter, according to our general manager, Mr. Walt Jockety. Now, there's been uh, discussion, uh, we'll call it discussion, that's the polite way to put it, uh, over all the Reds blogs, especially at Red Leg Nation and at uh, some of the other Reds message boards, about uh, you know how good a signing was this. Uh, and I guess reasonable minds can disagree on it. I think the uh, editorial uh, bent uh, at Red Lake Nation uh, falls down on the side that really it's a you know, Tavares has his let's say this he has his positive traits. Um, if you'll recall last year, Corey Patterson had his positive traits as well, and I'm not going to call Willie Tavares uh, the second coming of Corey Patterson. Uh, I wouldn't wish that on anyone. First of all, um, but uh, our buddy Justin uh, over at uh, Justin on Baseball and the Reds, a uh, fine blog you need to check out. You can find that link among the Red Lake Nation blogs uh, on the right column at Red Lake Nation. He says, uh, and I quote, On initial inspection, Tavares looks like Corey Patterson without the power, which is to say he's not looking very impressive. Well, you know, I don't know if I'd go that far. Uh, Patterson has shown a, a better ability to get on base. Excuse me, Tavares has shown a better ability than Patterson to get on base. Um, not that that's saying a whole lot because uh, Tavares' on-base numbers aren't spectacular, especially when you consider that Walt Jockley's pretty much named him the leadoff hitter, and we all know how much our manager Dusty Baker loves fast leadoff hitters. So there's a little something to be worried about there, I suppose. Um, This week, uh, later in the week, uh, several days after the signing was actually announced, finally we got the contract details. Um, And, you know... This contract stuff, it's always interesting to look at. Uh, I'm not, uh, you know, somebody else's money. I'm not too big on, oh, you know, they paid too much or they, uh, it's a good deal because of the money. But I guess when you look at a, a team that's running on a, a fixed budget like the Reds, um, although Castellini really is, uh, it's not a it's not a Carl Lindner budget. Uh, he's, he's opened his pocket a bit. Um, so, uh, but it's an interesting to, to just, specifically because of who Tavares is and, and what the market would bear for him, which you wouldn't have thought was, was very much, but he is getting a six and a quarter million dollars uh, over the next two years, uh, two and a quarter this year and then four million in 2010. 
with an additional $250,000 if he reaches 600 plate appearances. Oh, gosh, I hope that doesn't happen. But uh, the good news, I guess, with the, the contract is that Tavares is going to be donating 1% as part of the agreement of his base salary each year to the Reds Community Fund. So someone's going to be getting some benefit out of this money. I'm just not sure that it's going to be the Reds' offense that's going to get the benefit of that. Here's my position on Willie Tavares. He's, he, his numbers last year were hideous, uh, just terrible. And, you know, uh, there's a place for him on a Major League Baseball team. I, I'm not suggesting that this guy's a little leaguer. Uh, he's very fast, um, which is what uh, Corey Patterson apologists early last year said. And he's and, and strangely, this signing's being defended uh, on the uh, in the comments at, at the Nation by the same people who defended the signings of Corey Patterson and the signings of um, our old buddy Josh Fogg last year, which is to say, you know, that track record's not so great. But I, I, as I said, there are reasonable people who can disagree on this. My opinion is this. Corey, uh, or see there, I'm already doing it. Uh, I'm already calling him Corey Patterson. Willie Tavares could be a decent player for the Reds if, number one, he's batting seventh or eighth somewhere down there rather than at the top of the order. Um, I don't think that's going to happen, I'm afraid. But, you know, it could happen. The next thing is that Corey Patterson, boy, I've really got to quit doing that. <laughs> if Willie Tavares, if he his on-base numbers stay where they were two years ago rather than last year, which is say in the 330 uh, range, 340, somewhere around there, I, I could be okay with that. It's got to be at least that because – Tavares has no power, absolutely none. Uh, at least Corey Patterson could, as he, uh, uh, as we saw early last year, he hit, hit with a little bit of power. Uh, he had a couple of home runs early last year that really helped the Reds. Uh, but uh, those two things have, absolutely have to happen um, for the Reds to really benefit from this deal. I just don't see it happening. I don't see Patterson batting seventh or eighth, first of all. He may have a great year. Uh, I hope he does. Please, I hope he does. Because it's going to be a long uh, season for the Reds if we have to watch Corey. I'm not going to quit doing that, am I? If we have to watch Willie Tavares lead off the entire season. Now, Willie Tavares. It's really about all I want to say about him at this time. I am, however, going to go on the record with a bold prediction here. Um, and this is that prediction. On the record, Chris Dickerson. And I'm not a huge fan of Chris Dickerson. I think he's a nice uh, platoon-type player for the, that could really help the Reds if used correctly. But I'm going to say Chris Dickerson will be a better player offensively and defensively than Willie Tavares in 2009. Dickerson will be playing for basically the minimum. Uh, he'll be much cheaper as well. Um, the Sort of the unstated thing here is that Tavares' defensive reputation has taken a bit of a hit the last two years. The, the numbers and defensive numbers, obviously, are not, uh, well, uh, you can't rely on them as much as you could offensive numbers, I guess, in terms of the numbers the stat geeks like to throw out. Um, but his defensive numbers have not been good the last two years. So we'll see how it is when he's a great American ballpark, whether he rebounds in that sense. But uh, I'm telling you that I think that uh, based on career stats, Norris Hopper might be better than uh, Chris Dickerson this year as well. I think either one of those may have been a better option for center field this year and cheaper. Um, but, of course, if you look at it as it stands right now, Tavares is our starting center fielder, and Dickerson's probably the starting left fielder as of now because there are no other left fielders unless um, 
uh, Jockety goes out and signs Jerry Hairston like he's threatening to do to play left field, which would be a complete disaster in the outfield to have uh, Hairston and Tavares as two-thirds of our outfield. Fortunately, Jay Bruce is over in right field, and so uh, that's helpful. So, But anyway, let us uh, not mention Willie Tavares or Corey Patterson anymore in this uh, podcast. Uh, a related note, though, that I wanted to mention was something we've had, sort of had a little discussion about that I think is kind of funny um, from Red Leg Nation. Um, one of the other editors, Chris, he uh, posted a comment uh, or a, a thread entitled uh, Panic Button, and some of the same things that we're hearing with uh, the Willie Tavares signing, uh, we've heard before, I, I think. Um, everyone wants to say, at least the ones that want to defend this signing, always say, don't panic. Listen, uh, you know, this is, there's a long season. Don't panic yet. The, Walt Chocolate's not done making signings, et cetera, et cetera. And, and frankly, it, taken you know, in context, that's really a good advice usually because we all tend to sort of uh, jump to conclusions and jump off the ledge uh, before we need to do that. Um, but Chris uh, started making some notes of uh, how many times we've been told not to hit the panic button over the last 10 years, which is to say the last uh, just a miserable decade for the Reds been a lot of these moments and here, here's some of the ones he uh, noted don't panic Bob Boone may have been a bad manager in Kansas City but he's got a lot more talent here uh, yeah uh, don't panic Jimmy Haynes won 15 games last year we can count on him um, our opening day starter as you recall uh, when Great American Ballpark opened uh, don't panic Todd Van Poppel's just around for AAA depth don't panic Gary Majeski is one of the best young relievers in the game don't panic. Eric Milton's just a sign they're going to spend money in free agency. Don't panic. There's no way Corey Patterson will get many at-bats. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of them. Reggie Taylor, Danny Graves, uh, a lot of don't panic moments over the last 10 years. And, you know, um, those of you that are listening here, those of you that uh, follow RedLegNation.com faithfully, um, we have endured a bit. But uh, one of the things that I guess has made – it helps us a little bit, I would say, in terms of being able to follow the team right now is the fact that the farm system is looking pretty good and rated pretty well by everyone. And on that note, I want to move right into our uh, Red Lake Nation interview this week. As I, as I mentioned earlier, Bill Lack, uh, who's our king interviewer, um, interviewer extraordinaire here at Red Lake Nation, uh, sat down recently at the Champions Baseball Academy with Tyler Stovall, one of our, as I've mentioned, spotlight players. Go to redlegnation.com, look over in the right sidebar to find out information about uh, Tyler, to look up uh, all the statistics, uh, all the previous updates Tyler's been posting at Red Leg Nation for a while. Um, you can access all his posts from his spotlight player page. He is um, a local local guy uh, from Loveland. Uh, what I found interesting is that his family... Um, Went in with a couple other families. They were season ticket holders while he was growing up. This guy's a Reds fan. Uh, wants nothing more than to make the major leagues and, and play for the, the hometown team. He's a graduate of Central Michigan. He's a Chippewa outfitter who was selected in the 20th round of last year's first-year player draft. And really, you'll I think once you hear this interview, you will understand. This is a, a very bright guy, just a, a super young man, and a credit uh, not only to his family and, and to himself, but to the Reds organization. This is the type of kid that uh, you really want to, to see succeed. So 
I'll, uh, I'll let Bill take it away and uh, enjoy. Hi, this is Bill Lack with Red Leg Nation. We're here at the Champions Baseball Academy in Cincinnati talking to our new, well, not our new, our one-year-old <laughs> uh, spotlight player, Tyler Stovall. Is it, is it Stovall? Stovall. Stovall. Yeah. I'm sorry. I apologize for it's that. It's okay. Um, we're going to talk to him a little bit today, get a, get a feel for him and, and get his uh, feelings and thoughts on his first year in professional baseball going into his second year. Uh, so you got a little uh, PR on the date dragon site the other day yeah that was pretty cool to see uh actually i hadn't seen it until you emailed it to me and then uh i had actually seen the previous couple articles on uh dave sapel and uh alex buckholtz from the mustangs earlier and it was uh it's pretty cool to see me up on there too great let's start with some personal stuff you were born in cincinnati yes sir uh loveland area out that way yeah i was actually born in marymont but i grew up in uh loveland but kind of loveland milford border uh, my entire life so siblings brother sister uh, I have two older brothers uh, one went to Milford High School and played basketball one went to Moeller High School and played basketball I was the only baseball player um, Black then, sheep of the family. yeah kind of <laughs> uh, but my parents liked it that way I guess and then uh, both my brothers went to Miami University in Ohio so which is where I worked yeah so <laughs> interestingly enough um, were you Reds fan growing up? Yeah, big Reds fan. We had uh, we split season tickets with a couple other families uh, all the way up until probably the third year of Great American until I was getting ready to go to college, I'd say. So you saw some winning years. Yeah, I saw. I barely remember the, like the 90 season. That's probably about as far back as I remember. Who were your, current, who were your favorite players growing up? Uh, my favorite all time was Eric Davis. Uh, I still love him. I got to uh, see him up at Reds Fest the other weekend. That was pretty cool. Uh, Larkin, I loved a lot. Um, Joe Oliver was really cool. I don't know. I just liked. I mean, I liked a lot of the Reds coming up, growing up, and those were always my favorite players. Do you liken your skill set to anybody that that you know of and that you followed in professional baseball? Um, I'd say the guy I was compared to the most was uh, Jason Kendall, and it was because I was a catcher growing up in my first years of college, and then my junior year of college, they moved me to the outfield, and I was playing about 50% in the outfield, 50% at catcher, and then my senior year, it was, my, it was more of the same thing, and he's one of the few catchers that's actually gone to the outfield and had the speed to play both positions. Okay. What do you do outside of baseball? What are your hobbies? Uh, is, there, is there any outside of baseball? Uh, there's not a whole lot of time outside of baseball, but I'd say um, I do just, I mean, a lot of, like, weightlifting, like, training for baseball. Uh, I get movies, music, uh, try to go to concerts and just, you know. What kind of music you like? Uh, big fan of country music, actually. Really? Yeah. Me too. Oh, yeah. Texas country. So oh, okay. Um, you played baseball at Moeller yep. here in Cincinnati. Very story program mm -hmm. uh, put the Larkins and the, the Bells and the Griffies and, the, and those guys into professional baseball. In yeah. fact, I think now that they have had more people play in the big leagues than any other high school in the it's country. possible, yeah. Um, you won a state championship at Moeller? Yep. 2004? Mm -hmm. And you were, you were I, I saw this last night looking, doing some research. You caught that game. Yes, sir. Had yeah. two hits. Yeah. Championship game. Drove in a couple runs. Yeah. You guys, what, had a big six inning? Yeah, I actually had a uh, I had a home run in the second or third inning. Was that then, the big inning? Was that the six-run inning? No, that was not the big inning. No. That was just to give us the two-to-one lead, and then we had a big inning later on. 
big. Uh, a friend of mine played on a state championship game uh, team at Western Hills High School mm -hmm. when we were in, when I was in high school. Actually, it was a year after I left. He still, it's the biggest athletic thrill of his life at this point. Mm -hmm. How big a thrill was it to win a state championship? It was, I mean, I'm still really good friends with all the guys that are on the team with me. And actually, I was able to be a part of a state championship basketball team the year before that, which was which was equally as, as awesome of an experience. But um, winning state in baseball was probably, you know, like the highlight of my of my early career because it was, I'd, I'd played with those guys for so long and put in so many hours with those guys. And to finally see it culminate your senior year and to end your season with a win that nobody else can really do is pretty awesome. Yeah, you're the only, you're the only team in, in, in Division One that didn't end their season Exactly, <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, did you, you said you played basketball, did you play basketball at Moeller also? Yeah, I did play basketball. All three years? Yeah. Great. You're, you're 23? Yes, sir. Yeah. Okay. You played four years of college ball. Yep. There's a lot of talking among the people that follow baseball, not necessarily baseball players, people like yourself, is a, that some organizations don't move players through the organization as quickly as others. The Reds have, in the past, had a tendency to move players through slowly. Do you think playing four years of baseball helps you or hurts you in, in terms of getting to the big? Do you feel like you're, you're more pressed for time? Do you, do you understand what I mean? Yeah. Um I'd say it, it, it's kind of a two-way road. It helped me in that I was able to, uh, you know, mentally mature a little bit more in college instead of in the pros, which, I mean, if you're in college and you go through some slumps that extra year, then it's easier to deal with because it's not, you're not going to get released or anything. You can you can get over it and work with your coaches there, whereas you might have a little more pressure on you in the in the in professional baseball. But um, at the same time, it is tough being 23. I was one of the older players on uh, Billings this year. And uh, luckily, there were a lot of other guys that were kind of in the same boat as me, some other senior senior signs, which was nice. But, um, you know, it's always nice to start playing professionally earlier. But, um, you know, I'm just going to do the best I can with uh, what, I, what I was dealt. So, Do you think being a little older, you're more mature for handling the stresses of playing professional baseball? Yeah, I think definitely. Like, I was always saying it would be – I can't imagine being a high school kid drafted into professional baseball and having to go right into, you know – 140 game season being away from home the first time and you're you know with all these guys you've just met and you know you've never done this before whereas in college I mean I'm used to four years of college ball four years of summer college ball where I was doing a lot of the same stuff so I was pretty used to the rigors of uh, professional baseball when I got into it this year you said you you caught when you were you were young mm -hmm. did you play any other positions um, I was actually. Ball, that kind of thing. Uh, I I started off as a as a third baseman, and then one year when I moved up to you know C ball or whatever and not hole, the team I wanted to play for needed a catcher, so I was the first one to volunteer because I mean, I figured if nobody else, why not me? I might as well do it. Uh, it stuck. I caught until my junior high school. Then we had a catcher in front of me, Tony McConney, who went to Moeller, and then. Wanted to Furman and now plays for the Mets organization. So I moved to left field my junior year of high school, moved back to catcher my senior year of high school, and then was catcher until I moved back to the outfield. So they talk, about, at least in the major league levels, you hear a lot of talk about how many major league uh, managers are catchers because they say they have a, a unique perspective on the game. Yeah. Do, you, do you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, I 
I'm glad I went through all the years as a catcher because now I have so much more respect for all the things that catchers go through like during their career. I'm just amazed by major league catchers that they can go through an entire season. Just the grind on your body and your mind is just so, so intense that uh, it's just so hard to just stay up every game for it. It's, it's really amazing and it's not surprising at all that they make the best managers. Do you think, having been a catcher all those years, does it help you play in the outfield? On, on setting your position or, and, and, you know, how to play hitters, that kind of thing? Yeah, I think it definitely does give me a little advantage in the outfield. And, I mean, hitting-wise, too. I mean, you're always kind of – it kind of helps you anticipate what's coming up. Like, you kind of get on the same wavelength as the pitcher and the catcher. You see what their patterns are, you know, what they're trying to do to hitters, and it helps you definitely play and shift on different guys. Okay. How did you end up at Central Michigan? Um, I went to a couple showcases before my senior year of high school. I knew I wanted to play, you know, Big Ten or Mac ball because it was going to be close to home and my family could see me. And being a catcher, not a lot of schools, I mean, if you have already have two catchers, a lot of schools don't recruit another one. So a lot of the Mac schools were already set on catchers. You know, I wanted to go, I wanted to go to Miami because both of my brothers had gone there. They weren't really in the running for a catcher. Uh, Ohio U, I had a lot of friends going there. I was interested in there. They didn't need a catcher that much. So uh, I went to a couple showcases. Central saw me and liked me. Um, my family had lived in Michigan before, and I still had an uh, aunt and an uncle that lived up there. So one weekend after I had talked to them a little bit, I went ahead and went up there, visited my aunt and uncle, and visited the school. I loved it. Um, I loved the coaches. The facilities were unbelievable. Um, they made me a really nice offer to come up there and play, and uh, I went ahead and signed early and went up there. You're, you were a personal finance major? Yeah. 3.8 GPA? Yep. Impressive? Yeah, well, you know, I was, uh, it was I mean, you're tough. Just, you, you are a true scholar athlete. Yeah, I tried. Um, it was tough in college, but, you know, I felt like Moeller had done a really good job preparing me. Um, I just took it seriously like I did baseball, and you know, I'm just, I'm kind of competitive in nature in both ways, so I always want to get the best on myself, both, you know, in the classroom and on the field, and it turned out I ended up doing pretty well. Got your degree? Finished up? I have not finished up. I have one semester left to finish, and uh, unfortunately, it's a spring semester, so I can't go do it until I'm done with this whole baseball thing, but. But mom will make sure that you get it done. Yeah, my parents <laughs> ask me about it all the time, so. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, while you were at uh, while you were at Central Michigan, you had a, a great, a phenomenal junior year. Mm -hmm. You had a big jump in your numbers from your sophomore year to your, to your junior year. Can you attribute that to anything specific for that big jump? I would say moving to the outfield. Honestly, um, catching had just you know kind of taken its toll on my on my body, and I wasn't really happy with where I was defensively as a catcher, and I'd let it wear on me, and I would take it into the batter's box with me, and I really wouldn't be hitting well. So, you know, I'm, I, I give credit to my college coaches seeing that uh, they thought that I could play the outfield. They went ahead and moved me out there, and it just, it was like a load was removed from my back. It was just unbelievable. Your junior year, you were MAC player of the year. You were first team all MAC, academic all MAC, and you led the MAC in what? Batting average hits, RBIs, tied for first in runs, second in steals, third in on base percentage, third in total bases, fourth in slugs. That's not a bad year. Yeah, <laughs> I was pretty happy with it. Your senior year, now you said they moved you back behind the plate? A little bit. I was. It was probably about two-thirds outfield, one-third catching. 
and your numbers dropped a little bit. Mm-hmm. Do you attribute that to, to the time behind the plate? Um, I don't know. It was just a different team that year. Like, the runs in RBIs are just more reflective of, you know, the guys around me. So those weren't as high. Average went down. Just, I mean, coming back after a year like I had my junior year, you're obviously not going to see the same pitching that you did the previous year. So I got pitched around a lot, and, you know, I probably pressed a little bit with the draft coming up. So, I mean, it was just – I was pretty happy with my numbers. My, I mean, they dropped a little bit, but I was kind of expecting it almost. Yeah, you still – you had over 900 OPS. That's, yeah. That's so, not the right yeah. <laughs> You don't complain about that. Yeah. Where'd you hit in the lineup at, at Central Michigan? Um – I moved around a lot. Um, I started off my senior year. I was hitting in the three spot until the last four weeks of the season that I moved to leadoff, actually. And it was the first time I'd ever hit leadoff in my life, I think. And then my junior year, I was hitting third and fourth the entire year. When did you realize you had a chance to play pro ball? Was it after your junior year or was it earlier than that? I'd say during my junior year was probably the first time I really thought about it. I mean, in, in high school, I thought I was talented enough. Went to college, you know, had my the typical struggles, you know, getting used to the competition of Division One college baseball. So then I probably, you know, doubted myself a little bit my freshman and sophomore year. Then junior year I came back and then I thought I was for sure, you know, capable of doing it. It was just somebody giving me a shot. When, when did people start talking to you during your junior year? Yeah, I'd say I'd start, you know, filling out questionnaires and stuff, getting a little interest my junior year. But I was, honestly, I was so far under the radar going into my junior year that, I mean, a lot of teams didn't see me till till the last few weeks of the season, that, that season. And, you know, some teams probably wanted to see me play a little more. I mean, they can't go solely on one season one season of information. So, when you, when, you, when you have a year like you did your junior year, do you – did you see a lot of scouts over the summer? Come watch play summer ball. Um, it's kind of hard. It's kind of hard to tell because I played up in New England, um, which was I mean, Cape Cod? it was not Cape Cod. I got asked to be a, a temporary player on a Cape Cod team at the end of my junior season, but I had already signed a contract with a New England team in Sanford, Maine, and um, so I went up to Sanford. And it's hard. It's difficult because you get seen by scouts that had not seen you. It's not the same scouts that have been watching you in college ball. So they're all. So it's all their first shot at seeing you too. So I mean, it would be nice to have been played, you know, closer to home and been seen by the same people, so they could see how I translated to a wood bat or whatever. But um, you know, I don't think. I mean, I'm sure some some scouts saw me up there, but none that I had like direct contact with. How warm does it get in Sanford, Maine, this summer? It actually wasn't that bad. It was better than I played in North Carolina in Wilson, North Carolina, the previous summer, where it was you know 100 degrees every day. So high 72 was looking pretty good for me up in Maine. Uh, were you surprised where you were drafted? You were 20th round pick. Were you, was that about where you expected to go? Did you think you might go a little higher or lower? Um, I'd say it was probably about where I was expecting to go, and it was just, you know, based on my own instincts. Uh, we had a kid at Central Michigan, uh, Ben Humphrey, who was actually from Lakota West in Cincinnati, and he got drafted by the Devil Rays in the 23rd round of last year, of the previous year's draft. So, I, look, I mean, our stats were pretty comparable. So, you know, I was hoping to go in the top half. I was t- hoping to go in the top 25 rounds. And um, I went to the Reds uh, pre-draft workout camp and had a pretty good, had a pretty good workout for him. So I thought that might bump me up a little bit in their in their rankings, and I guess it did. So, other team, what other teams took a look at you? Do you know? Um, I know the Marlins were interested in me. The A's were interested in me. The Reds. 
um, Red Sox, and then, I don't know, there were a few others. I mean, I, I, my agent did a lot of the talking to the teams for me, so he would just tell me what, what I guess he wanted me to know and then kept the other stuff to himself. How did you find out you were drafted? Did you get a phone call, see it on the Internet? Yeah, it was actually a pretty funny story. Uh, well, going into the draft, I didn't want to. I didn't want to be somebody that just watched the internet all day. Like I watched the first two rounds because they were on TV that the first day. So I watched that just because I was interested in it. Second day, when I figured I when I knew I'd probably be taken, I I didn't want to be on the computer at all. I wanted to get out of the house actually, but you know I decided to stick around because I I wanted to be around my parents when it happened. So my dad was on the computer. He was watching the whole thing. He had. He had it all set up. Yeah, exactly. He was listening to music, watching the draft the whole time, um, and then, and then probably at probably around like one o'clock in the afternoon, our power went out. So we had no TV, no home phone, no internet. I had no, I had no way of finding out anything. So I'm just laying on the couch reading the reading the Inquirer when my cell phone rings and it was. Um, and first, it was my agent telling me, congratulations, you're a Cincinnati Red. And then I asked him, obviously, I had no idea what round it was in, so I, was, so I asked him what round. So 20th round, so I was, I was ecstatic. My hand was shaking. I was so excited. Hung up the phone, told my dad. He yelled to my mom. She was upstairs or something. Um, and then the scout that had scouted me, like that I knew pretty well, called me and congratulated me, too. And that's how I found out. Yeah. Was there any, was there ever any question of, of money or whether you'd sign or was I mean, was, or was it? Not really. It was really easy. I mean, pretty much if you're a senior, a fourth year senior, and you get drafted, you don't have a whole lot of leverage. It's not like you can't really hold out and say, you know, I'm going to go back to school for another year because you don't have any more years of eligibility. Um, so I was, our, my scout was on in his car on his way to sign me on probably two days after I got drafted. So. Another one of your high school teammates, Brackman? Yeah, Andrew Brackman. Was he drafted the same year you were? Previous year. Previous he was drafted year. as a junior, yeah. yeah. And he was, a, he was a number one, right? Yeah, he was a first round, 30th overall by the Yankees. Yeah. I don't even want to know how much money he got. He, he probably doesn't have to work very much the rest of his life. So So you go into your first year of professional baseball. You're coming off of a, a senior year where you played how many games? Senior year, I played around 60 games, I'd say. Yeah, 57 games. Was it tough playing another season of, of, of ball? Um, I, I, I mean, it wasn't as tough as I thought it was going to be. It's probably not as tough as it would just playing them all right in a row for the same team. Because, I mean, the college season, I mean, it seems like there's so much more pressure on you as like a team just to do well like it's not even individually it's just you want the team to do well for your school and for your coaches and everything so it was kind of a relief after that season had ended and then I got you know a two-week break to do some workouts um, wait for the draft find out about the draft go down to a mini camp with the Reds and then report out to Billings and then I really felt refreshed once the billing season started, and it was kind of a kind of a thrill. To I mean, it's your first professional season, so I mean that kind of it flew by. So you went to Sarasota for mini mini, mini camp, yep. working out in a thousand degrees. In yeah, the of the exactly. Day. And then you go to Billings, where the weather's pretty nice, I assume. Yeah. Opening a new ballpark. Yep. You had a pretty good year at Billings. Mm -hmm. Eight fifty-seven OPS. 
played center field? Did you play center? I played right, and I played center probably four or five games. Okay. In college, you stole a lot of bases. Led the league your senior year. Did you lead your junior year, too? I think I was second my junior and first. Anyway, you stole a lot of bases. Yeah. High percentage. Running game, big part of your game in high school. At Billings, you had three attempts. Mm-hmm. Was it that they just didn't run? In Billings? Yeah, I think if you looked at the stats for Billings, I think our leader might have had six stolen bases. It was just, I think our our manager, Julio, was really just, I mean, he was really just interested in letting us play. He, he, he would always play for a big inning. He wasn't, until the end of the year, we didn't get into a lot of bunting or stealing or hitting runs and stuff like that. Because, I mean, he felt we had the talent that any inning, if we got a guy on first, the next guy in line could just as easily hit a double as that guy could steal second base. So, I mean... I really wasn't that bothered by it or anything. In college, I also had the green light to steal third base a lot, which, I mean, that's, if you watch me play, I took probably a third of my stolen bases were stealing third base from second. But, um, you know, I probably could have done it a little more up in Billings, but I just didn't feel the need to, so. What do you think is the strongest part of your game? The strongest part of my game, I think I'm just, you know, just a smart, fundamental player, to be honest. I mean, I'm not... I'm not going to be the flashiest player you see, but I think you, you'll be happy with every you know every aspect of my game. I run the base as well, hit for average, have some power. Um, don't have the greatest arm, but you know I'm pretty accurate with it. So, I mean, it's just I think I just pride myself on being well-rounded. What do you think you need to work on the most? Uh, I'm still getting used to defense in the outfield because I've only been playing it for two and a half years. A lot of guys have been playing it their whole lives, so. Um, Especially when I start moving around to center field and left field when I'm used to playing right field. I just really need to fine-tune my uh, reads on fly balls, you know, just uh, stuff like that. Were you happy with your with your season in Billings? Yeah, I was really happy with it. Um, you know, the team, we didn't do as well as we could have in the, in the, um, in the tournament at the end. But, um, you know, it was just we caught – we were really hot at the beginning of the year, um, really hot to begin the second half, and then um, – we just kind of lost steam. So, but individually, I mean, I was really happy with how I played. Do you look at your stats during the season? Uh, it depends. Um, Trying to think. This year, I did not look at them at all in Billings until probably the last two weeks of the season. Because I know my junior year, when I was having the my good year in college, I would check them all the time, and it kind of drove me nuts. Like I hated knowing it in my mind. I'd know exactly how many at bats I had, how many hits I had. Like I could almost like compute my slugging percentage in my head. It was terrible. So then my senior year, you know, I stopped looking at it as much. I tried not to. I mean, I mean, obviously you're gonna know some of the stuff generally how you're doing, but you know, I tried not to. I tried to just judge myself on uh, on the process and not so much the results. What, what numbers do you look at when you look at your at your stats? Are there any any that you zero in on? Um, I think it kind of depends on where where I'm hitting in the lineup a lot, actually. But usually, I mean, I like my runs and my RBIs to be be up there. To me, that that shows that I'm getting on base and I'm getting in scoring position, and I'm also coming through in clutch situations to knock in runs. And then, um, obviously. My on-base percentage, I take, I try to keep up, and I try to keep my strikeout numbers down. But you, uh, you only have one home run last year in, in Billings. As you get older, mature, get stronger, do you, do you expect doubles to turn into home runs? Yeah, I think so. I mean, even if you look at my college stats, I didn't have any home runs my first two years, and then I had six my next two years. So I think it just kind of 
I mean, it's just kind of me getting used to the environment I'm in. Um, and at the same time, my approach really isn't trying to hit home runs a lot. I think if they, if the Reds came out and asked me to do try to do that more, I mean, I feel like I could probably, you know, make the adjustment and do it more. But when I was having success in Billings, I really didn't think I didn't really want to change anything when it wasn't, you know, it's not a natural part of your game. Yeah. Um, your numbers, your, your numbers are really good, and we talked about this during the season. So I'm going to ask you a question that I've asked you during mm -hmm. the season. But you only played in like 38 out of the 74 games mm -hmm. in Billings. I know you had a couple of couple of injury problems, at least one that I remember. But you would explain why you didn't play in, in more games. Uh, well, in Billings, in rookie ball, there's no roster limit for the teams. So, um, so unlike you know when you have like a, a 25-man roster or whatever, we could carry up to, you know, 40 guys, which includes, like, up to, like, seven outfielders. I mean, at one time we had we had me, Byron Wiley, Dave Sapel, Matt Stifler, uh, Andrew Means, our first baseman, Mike Insani, was playing some outfield. Kyle Day, who was a catcher from Michigan State, was also playing some outfield. So we had... I mean, seven or eight guys yeah, all right. We just had so many outfielders, and to be honest, I mean, oh, Anthony Brown, I forgot him. I mean, four of us were all playing. I mean, really well. And um, do they have to designate twenty-five per game, or, or is that whole? Can you use anybody on that of that forty in each game? I'm pretty sure you can use anybody in that. Actually, no, you do have to limit it because I know towards the end of the season we were, we had to put pitchers that had pitched the previous couple of days off the roster kind of like that game. Active list for yeah. that game, that kind of thing. But it was only like a couple guys. Tell us about playing in Billings. The good, the bad. Uh, I thought Billings was awesome. Um, the new stadium's unbelievable. The fan support uh, was great. It was kind of strange. I mean, we were winning so much at home and winning by like pretty big margins that I that sometimes we've kind of felt bad for the fans because they would always be leaving in you know the sixth or seventh inning because we were we were always up by five or six and we we felt bad because we never had any close games for them to like stay down to the wire and get excited for but um but other than that I mean the whole the whole experience out there was awesome I had a great host family to stay with um, like I said the stadium was unbelievable the team we did well. Um, the travel wasn't too bad. I mean, the trips, the trips out of division to Utah, I mean, that's a 12-hour bus ride, and that's, I mean, never fun no matter where you're at. It doesn't have anything to do with Billings or where we were at. It's just a bus trip. But it's just a 12-hour bus trip, man. You try to sleep through as much of it as you can. When, when we talked to Logan Parker a couple of years ago, he told us about the old ballpark. Yeah. Not good. Yeah, that's what I hear. Can you tell us a little, tell a little more about the ballpark? Tell about the facilities that you that are in the new ballpark. Uh, new ballpark. It is um, it's brand new. It opened this year. Um, our locker room was actually not connected to the dugout. It was up by the. Uh, it was down towards the left field foul pole. So we would actually have to walk up some stairs and you know down the down the foul line and sign autographs and you know talk to kids on our way to and from the clubhouse which was nice for you know fan interaction and stuff uh in the clubhouse you know we had uh plasma tv with cable um big lockers brand new training room with uh with a you know whirlpool tub um manager's office um then Attached to the to the clubhouse was our batting cage area, which we had two cages that we could hit in. Um, 
I didn't see the visitors' locker room by her. It was very similar to ours. Um, and then the one, the really cool feature of our stadium was that it had a like a pavilion that went all the way around the outfield fence, which ours was the only. I think ours was the only field in the league that had that, which allowed you to actually stand anywhere along the outfield fence. So I would have, you know, I'd be playing right field, and there would be people standing along the fence behind me, you know, yelling at me, you know, trying to get me to talk to them and stuff. So it was pretty nice. And, and Billings, Billings draws well. Yeah, very well. I think we had, you know, between three and 4,000 a game, probably. That's, that's pretty close to capacity out there. Right? Yeah. yeah. It was, I mean, it would always, at the end of the nights, it would always be a little more crowded than when we started out, but usually standing room only. Uh, we did an interview a couple years ago with Gary Roller, the GM out there. Mm -hmm. and, uh, he, he was telling us a little bit about the transition from the old ballpark to the new ballpark. Uh, did you have much interaction with Gary when you were out there? Um, not really. I mean, just uh, the host family setup. Yeah, that's about it. I mean, it was usually the front office guys kind of, kind of were busy managing, you know, the facilities and the promotions and everything going on at the park, and we were just there, you know. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize that in the minor leagues, the GM doesn't have a whole lot to do. With right. The yeah. Yeah. They can't trade us or anything. Right. So. <laughs> uh, tell us about what you've been doing this off season. Do you work? Yeah, I did get a job this offseason. I just wrapped up. It was actually at the uh, the big tree plantation, which is in Morrow, Ohio. It's a uh, Christmas tree farm, and uh, I went to high school with the with the owner's son. And a lot of my friends had done had worked there over Christmas breaks, like throughout college. So, um, you know, this offseason when my my bank account was running a little low, I went ahead and gave him a call. He was more than happy to you know bring me out there for holiday help. So I worked there for about five weeks, cutting down trees, carrying trees, setting up trees, stuff loading like that. Cars. Yeah, loading them on cars, <laughs> all that good stuff. So, yeah, I'm glad. It was fun to do, but I'm glad it's over so I can get into uh, to baseball again. Tell us about which, how you trained in the offseason for, for baseball. Um, basically, I do. I mean, after the season ends, you know, I take a little time off just to, uh, you know, recuperate, let my body recover from, you know, playing for the last six months. Uh, then I go ahead, hit the weight room, uh, do a lot of running, biking stuff for cardio. Um, I don't really throw a lot for the first couple months off, give my arm a rest because I know it's going to be a long season and I'm going to need it to be rested up for it. Um, then once, you know, once Thanksgiving hits, after Thanksgiving, I go ahead and start throwing and hitting a little bit, start off the tee, start throwing, you know, uh, short. I got a lot of minor league guys around, you know, the Cincinnati area that, that I've become acquaintances with that, you know, are want to come up here to champions and work out with me. So I usually call a couple of them up. We'll come up here, you know, hit around, throw around, goof off a little bit, and then, um, you know, I'll take it easy with that kind of stuff until around New Year's, until right about now, and then I start kicking it into gear. Um, I'm actually going to go up to back up to Central Michigan, work out with their team for a month um, up in Mount Pleasant after New Year's, and then after that, I'm probably going to head down to uh, down to Florida a couple weeks early so I can work out outside, get some fly balls, and uh, not freeze. Get some heat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> how much how much lifting do you do? do, you do? Um, I'd say I do it a lot. I do probably four days a week, um, almost pretty much every week. 
Uh, nothing, you know, nothing too heavy or anything, but I think it's important just to stay healthy. I mean, even if it doesn't, you know, translate into higher power numbers or whatever, I think uh, it's never going to hurt you to have, you know, stronger, but stronger muscles. Um, but I also have to, I mean, I also work on my flexibility a lot because that's also a really big thing because I know a lot, a couple of years I've done it where I've just, my swing has just felt stiff the first three weeks of the season because of the lifting program I was in. And it didn't, it took me three weeks to even loosen up my swing to where I wanted it to be. Tell us about your game day uh, regimen. Uh, game day, out in Billings, it'd probably be, I'd probably wake up probably around 11 o'clock. Um, you know, eat some, eat some lunch, watch some TV, read the paper, whatever. Head down to the field at, um, you know, around 1 o'clock. Put my shorts on and stuff. Go out in the cage, do some early hitting off the tee or front toss with the hitting coach. Uh, that'd probably take till about 2 o'clock or so. Head back into the, into the clubhouse. Watch some TV, hang out for a while, and then do our, do our official early hitting from, you know, 2.30 to 3.30. We'd be in a group for a half hour. Go out, do that. Come back in, change into my into my uh, my BP gear, like my pants and my BP top. Uh, head on out, do my stretch. Um, go through batting practice. Head back in, do an, do another stretch with the extra flexibility group. Um, go inside, you know, have something to eat. Probably, you know, peanut butter and jelly was something we had about every day. Um, which also, being an extra flexibility group, I would always miss out on the fresh fruit that apparently we had. I didn't even know we had it until about two weeks left in the season. The yeah, every time I came in, there was never any left until somebody told me about it. Um, you know, eat, hang out in there until infield, outfield, go out, take some throws from right field, um, come back in, then just get ready for the game. We touched a little earlier. You've had a couple small injuries during the season last year. Was one of them a hamstring? No, I actually had a hip injury, yeah. Um, it was just something weird. I got hit by a pitch in the hip. Um, it didn't really hurt or anything to start off with. I mean, I played played the rest of the game. It was actually on one of our long road trips. We took the 10-hour the bus ride back. It stiffened up on me. I tried to get it loose the next game, and I played. I tried to beat out the ball to first, and I landed on it awkwardly, and it just jarred my, my hip joint. So I had to miss about a week towards the end of the season, you know, rehabbing that. But, um, you know, I got it taken care of. It hasn't been bothering me since, so, no. Good. That's good. Do you set goals before your seasons? Yeah, I do. Numerical goals? Yeah, I did last year for, uh, for college, I did. You think you will this year? Um, I think I probably will. I mean, I kind of like to do it, even though, I mean, it's funny. I did it last year, and I don't think I reached any of the numerical goals I made for me in college, which was kind of sad. But at the same time, it's nice to just have, you know, just a little baseline to go after. And like I said earlier, a lot of it was RBIs, runs, stuff like that, stolen bases. I wanted to get 30. I got, like, 27 or something. So I didn't consider it, like, a huge failure. I wasn't going to just try to, you know, try to steal three bases in meaningless situations just to get the goal or whatever. But, um, you know, I like having that. I keep a notebook around where I can jar notes down and stuff. I like doing it preseason just to, you know, focus on something, have something, you know, written down that I felt was obtainable to me um, so I can look back and see how, how I did at the end of the season. Where do you, where where do you where would you like to start this season? Where do you think you'll start this season? 
Um, I think the answer to both is probably Dayton. I mean, I would love to play in Dayton. It would be the closest I played to home since high school, which I know my my parents made it to all but one series my senior year of college. So they'll be at. I'd say they'd probably be like dragon ticket holder season ticket holders next year if I was there. And um, I think with the year I had in Billings, I think um, Dayton would be a pretty good fit for me. I mean, I'd still probably be a little old for the league, but um, I think it's just the next next logical step to start me out there. Have you been to a game at Dayton yet? I did. I actually went after I got drafted by the Reds. I went up there and watched the game. Yeah, I've got partial season oh, okay. in Dayton. Yeah. It's, it's a neat place. Yeah. Uh, some of the guys have talked about in the past. It's difficult. You play in Dayton. You're yeah. playing in front of 9,000 people every mm-hmm. night. You get promoted to Sarasota, and you're lucky if you're playing in front of three. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know. And, and I've talked to a couple of two or three guys that they, they've struggled with that when they first got down there, because mm-hmm. especially guys that play off the crowd. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden down there, you got to you you aren't getting that motivation. Oh no, yeah, it's like a scrimmage. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You played in front of bigger, you know, bigger crowds in college. Right. Yeah. A lot, you know, front. Um, tell me the best thing about playing minor league baseball. Uh, best part about playing minor league baseball is that um, it keeps me out of the real job market for another year. I'd say, um, you know, it's I mean, it's just unbelievable. It's just I mean, I get to travel around with guys that I love hanging out with. Um, I got to meet some really good friends that I probably would have never met any other way. Um, you get to be cheered on and booed by thousands of people every night. <laughs> Um, you get to represent cities and towns that, I mean, you might have never even heard of before. Um, it's just, I mean, it's just great. Yeah, place. I mean, you probably never yeah, I would have never been to, I would have never been to Montana, Wyoming, or Idaho, or any of those places had I not played. Other than the bus trips, what's the worst thing about playing minor league baseball? Uh, let's see, besides <laughs> the bus trips. Because I know that's what everybody said. Yeah, um... Probably eating peanut butter and jelly almost every day. That's a battle, isn't it? And especially on the road, isn't it? Yeah. Is is is, is finding places to eat. I, I've heard this it is. once. Yeah. You know, you get out of the games late. Places are closed. It's a, a constant yeah. battle. In Helena, in Helena, Montana, actually. Yeah, our games would end at you know ten, you know ten fifteen. We'd all shower and change, get on the bus, drive back to the hotel room. We'd be getting back there, you know, ten fifty, eleven o'clock. All the fast food restaurants in Helena close at 10:30, so then we have to. Then we're pretty much you want to order pizza, and you have the entire team ordering pizza from the exact same spot, and then you don't get your delivery until one o'clock in the morning. And then, uh, I mean, and then a lot of the other places that are open are you know sports bars or whatever, and then you end up spending you know 12, 14 dollars on a meal, and you only get 20 dollars a day if you're us. So I mean, it's hard. Do you think there's a, a boot camp mentality to the minor leagues where they want to see how you deal with adversity? Um, yeah, I think they're. I think depending on the person, I think they definitely. I think they definitely want to see how you react to it. But at the same time, I think the older guys are more used to dealing with adversity than the younger guys. Yeah. So I think. I think a lot with the high school guys, especially. I think a lot of the. Uh, a lot of the development personnel wants to see how how they react to certain situations, and a lot of the I mean, a lot of the college guys is just kind of expected that you that you know how to deal with those situations. 
one of the things I always ask about is, is supplements, illegal supplements, the steroid, and the, and the policy in the minor leagues. Mm -hmm. You guys are giving a lot of education on that, I understand. Mm -hmm. Probably more than you even want to know, because yeah. I hear it kind of runs out of your ears, you get so much. Do you think a 50-game suspension is, 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 is fair, reasonable? Um, I think it's pretty steep. I think I think the major problem is, I mean, we're seeing in the NFL now with the, with the players that took the uh, – the substance that was not marked, that, that didn't have any banned substances listed on the ingredient list, but the company was at fault for putting illegal substances and not labeling them on the on the thing. And it's an honest mistake by by a lot of players. Like, obviously, you're gonna you want to be in the best shape that you can be in. And I don't think anybody really wants to be do it illegally. They want to do it legally, but then you you start drifting into well, supplement companies aren't regulated by the FDA, and they can do things like that, and then there's not really a repercussion for them. It's just the player gets hurt. So I think a 50-game ban is, is perfectly fine for, for, I mean, anybody that knowingly does, does anything illegal to try to get, get an advantage. But at the same time, I think the appeals process should be a little more lenient to people that did take something thinking that it was all right that in turn they got you know got duped by the manufacturer that I mean it wasn't their fault they weren't trying to do anything illegal so can you clear supplements with the trainers or, or I mean if you're gonna take something you aren't sure can you take it to someone you can but at the same time I mean they only know what's marked on the on the ingredients list I mean they don't have a lab that they can test every right. supplement sure. you bring in so they know about as much as you do but that isn't, so that isn't gonna protect you you say well I took it to my to the club and they said yeah you can. I don't think so I don't think it would really and to be honest I think if you did take anything to the manager they would probably be on the side of you know better safe than sorry I wouldn't take anything that's you know that's is there an approved list um, we do have there is one brand that um, that is approved by by Major League Baseball, that it's EAS Sports brand um, that we can that we can purchase through the like through the Reds organization, but um, at the same time, if you, I mean it's 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 approved by them, but it's also about as basic of sports supplements as you can get. So, tell us about a couple of the guys that, that you played with last year that. that a lot of people probably haven't heard their names. You know, they weren't the high draft picks. They weren't guys that might surprise us this year in, in Dayton or, or might even start the year in Sarasota. Uh, I'd say Mike Constani, who was our first baseman. I think he had, you know, 10 home runs for us in Billings. He's a big guy. He's like 6'4", six, 6'5", six, six, probably like 240 pounds. He actually went to uh, to – uh, Winthrop for his first two years, which was funny because I actually got recruited by them and I could have gone to college with them for my first two years of college. And then he actually transferred to Albany. So he's from a northern school kind of like me, so he didn't get a whole lot of pub in college. He got drafted, you know, late by the Reds, but, um, you know, he came out and he actually had one of his one of his best years ever, his first year in pro ball with Wood. Um, he's also, he's our first baseman, but he probably had the best arm of any of the, any of the uh, position players on the team. So I think he could be really good next year. Um, then we also have a young catcher, Jordan Weidman, who, I mean, um, I know we have Devin Mesoraco up a, that's in the same draft class as Jordan. But, um, you know, Jordan was, I think, the best catch and throw guy in the entire league last year, in the entire Frontier League. And, um, I mean, he's only 19. He's a high school guy, so from Canada too. So he's still developing as a hitter. 
and developing his game overall, but I think he could be a really nice player coming up. Then on the pitching side? On the pitching side, I mean... Where did you... Um, there's just those other well, guys. yeah, I didn't really deal with him a whole lot, but um, I would say, you know, Clayton Shunick from NC State, he didn't, I mean, a lot of people have heard of him. He didn't really have a very good year, but I think he was just, you know, overused a little bit in college. He was a little tired coming out there. I think he's going to have a really good year for us this year. Um, Leonardo Astorga did great for us this year. Um, he's going to be, I think he's going to be a really good pitcher for us, and, um, you know, it would be nice. A lot of our better pitchers got called up to Dayton through the year, so I didn't really get to see how they pitched like much more than a, than a week or two. But um, you know, I thought I think we're gonna have a lot of good surprises. We bounced a couple names off of mm-hmm. Nappy Soto. Yeah, he was um, he was one of the most talented hitters I've seen by far. Like it's just like everything he hits is a double. It's almost it's almost like you just start laughing at it. It's like everything he hits is a line drive in the gap or a line drive down the line. It's I mean, and if you look at his body type, he's gonna. He's a guy, if you think doubles are going to turn to home runs, he's definitely a guy that that's going to happen to. He look, he, I watched him the, the half of the season today. Yeah. He looks like a very talented young man. Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure I'm pronouncing his name. Buckholz? Yeah, Alex Buckholz. He played second base? Yeah. Um, and I, I, all I know about him is I looked at his stat line, and it was yeah. incredible. He's just, um, just a professional hitter. It's just, I mean... You just play with guys that he just has the hand-eye coordination that it just seems like whenever he hits the ball, it's it's on the barrel. Like, he never gets jammed. He never hits it off the end of the bat. He stays line drive approach to all fields. He hits the ball where it's pitched. He just got a great balance in his swing. He's got pretty good pop. I mean, good defensive player, too. He was stay at second base? Yeah, I'd say it's probably where he's best fit for. You talk, we, we've talked, you talked, mentioned wood bats a couple times. Do you have any trouble adjusting at all? Um, yeah, I mean, I would say, I mean, this is my first year I did really well with Wood. I mean, the two, or the three years I played summer ball with Wood Bats, I mean, I had, I had significantly worse years than I did in college. And, um, you know, I think it's, it takes some getting used to. I mean, right now in my workouts, I can even feel that I'm not, I'm not where I was at the end of last season with, you know, just a feel for where the, where the sweet spot is. But, um. You know, I, I think I like it. I like the challenge of getting used to it. So it's, I mean, it's fun. Do you have a, a plan? I mean, do you, are you going to play minor league ball as long as you can? Are you going, have you set your, or have you set yourself a limit? If I don't get to this level by this year, you know, I'm going to say it's time to move on. I mean, is there any long-term plan? No, I have no long-term plan. I think I'm just going to play as long as I can. I mean, I would hate to. I'd hate to stop and, you know, think about what could have been or whatever. I mean, I just – I enjoy it too much. that I, I I have too many of my buddies working real jobs right now, and the more I hear from them, the more I just want to keep playing baseball as long as I can. As Clinker said in his blog post a couple weeks ago, I don't know if you read this, he's, he's got an eighth. He's oh, yeah. Every time he works, his heart he's dies a little dies. bit. Yeah, yeah, I did read that. <laughs> uh, how confident are you that you'll make it to the big leagues? Um – you know, I wish I wish I was more confident in it, but um, it's just kind of it's kind of hard to look that far into the future. You just kind of have to you have to take it one step at a time. You know, I'm just I try to succeed at every level I'm at, and if I do that, then I think I'll be up there one day. So your goal at this point right now is make the Dayton Dragons. Exactly, and then once I make the Dayton Dragons, it'll be you know do well enough to get promoted up to Sarasota, and then if I make it to Sarasota, I'll want to do well there. So.
Well, that's all I've got. I want to thank you very much for your time today, and good luck in spring training. Well, you're going to Central Michigan first. You're going to go yeah. there and get a little cold before you go down there and get a little. Yeah, exactly. And uh, hopefully, we'll hear from more from you this year. And uh, check in with us when you can post. And we really appreciate your time, Tyler. All right, Thanks no problem. Much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks again to Bill Lack and uh, Tyler Stovall, uh, especially Tyler for that uh, interview. Uh, very interesting. I'm going to wrap up now. It's a longer interview. Um, and rather than break it up into two separate uh, interviews like we've done in the past and run them on two separate podcasts, I thought we'd go ahead and present you with the entire thing. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back very soon with another edition of the Red Leg Nation Radio Podcast. Thanks for listening. Bye. <laughs>